Well, good morning, church. As we open up God's word this morning, I'm gonna invite you to remain seated and open your hearts to the hearing of the word. Found in Ezra chapter six, verses 13 through 22. Then Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shatar Basnai, and their colleagues carried out the order of King Darius with all diligence. So the elders of the Jews built and prospered because of the prophesying of the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, Edo's son. They finished building by the command of Israel's God and of Cyrus, Darius, King Artaxerxes of Persia. This house was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the rule of King Darius. Then the Israelites, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles joyfully celebrated the dedication of this house of God. At the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a purification offering for all Israel, 12 male goats. I'm sorry, yes, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their sections for the service of God in Jerusalem, and as it is written in the scroll of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles celebrated the Passover. All of the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were clean. They slaughtered the Passover animals for all the returned exiles, their fellow priests and themselves. The Israelites who had returned from exile together with all those who had joined them by separating themselves from the pollutions of the nations of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel, ate the Passover meal. They also joyfully celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days because the Lord had made them joyful by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria toward them so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to take a moment and pause and acknowledge that I am truly, truly honored to be sharing with you this morning, my church family. For those of you who have been around college church for a while, you will understand that this moment is one that seven years ago, I would have never imagined. In fact, I believe I have a picture from one of our very first Sundays here with you. Look at those babies. <laughs> when we moved here and the gauges descended on Nampa, our kids were 10, 6, and 3. And now, I think I have a picture, they are 17, 13 as of yesterday, happy birthday bear, and 10. It has been a crazy, fun journey. And it is a journey that we have been blessed to walk with you. Personally, this journey has been one of the most transformational in my life. 
with your affirmations and prayers and support as mentors, friends, and colleagues, I stepped into my call of ministry that God had placed on my heart. Not knowing exactly what answering this call would mean, this church gave me the space to learn and grow, and you even launched me well as my calling moved me right across the street to the campus of NNU. And as a pastor's kid who moved, as God guided our family into a pastor's spouse, and now a pastor myself, I can look back and see the hand of God faithfully drawing us into communities that we could call home. I'm blessed to call this my home, my church home, and my community. So as we continue this walk through this year-long journey through Scripture, we find ourselves in the book of Ezra this week. We find ourselves journeying with a people, the people of Israel, who after oppression, exile, and wandering, are now a people called to return home. And you know, it wouldn't be a sermon at college church without talking a bit about exile. So, let's talk about how we are here today by looking back just for a moment at how the Israelites came from exile. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which scholars believe were together written by a single author, set the scene as we make way to witness a rebirth. We find the Israelites, the ones that remained in this post-exilic time, allowed to return to the promised land, return to their homeland. And not only were they able to return, they were commissioned to rebuild the temple. It was a return to sacred space. In Ezra and later in Nehemiah, restoring the faith community required reclaiming something from the past. In particular, it meant returning to the ancient sacred space of the promised land where ancestors had encountered God over time. The Lord had given Abraham and his descendants the land of Israel to possess in Genesis and had chosen a place for his name to dwell there, we see in Deuteronomy. So the exiles returned to the land to reclaim those promises and rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem we'll find soon. So why this return to the homeland? Why we return to rebuild a temple? I'm gonna be really transparent with you here, and I can do that because my professor is not in the room. Um, <laughs> this was built out of an assignment Pastor Noah shared last week, I turned in my assignment, <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a whole new way, and so I am off book <laughs> while Pastor is away. So, yes, so here we go. This scripture came alive to me this week in a new way. 
You see, I have the unique opportunity across the street to partner with great people. You heard from one of them just a second ago, Grant. You heard from the other one last Sunday, Noah. And we each have the burden to help in the spiritual formation of our student community so that as they leave and in you with their earned degrees, yes, that's important, we want that to happen, that they also leave as experts who are trained and shaped and transformed into redemptive and creative agents in the world so that they can carry out the new creation wherever they may go. That is the cry of our hearts. And as chaplains, it's our responsibility to partner with the Holy Spirit and with each other to do the best we can to discern how the Holy Spirit would have us to shape and form our student community. And it's with this heart's cry that we plan our scheduled events, we plan our, chap our chapel schedule. We do that with this same heart of transformation. And so every year, as Grant mentioned, we host what is called Winter Awakening. And we do this in an effort to provide students with a space to have a very intentional, very focused series of services and prayer gatherings that invite Jesus to come into their lives and for the Spirit to engage in the sanctifying work that we know is possible. And so NNU has this long institutional history of these revivalist services with this focus on personal holiness. The fun part about this particular event is that it is student-led. We have student leaders who are responsible to help shape this winter awakening. And so with that being said, the schedule had been set, the speaker had been chosen, the topic had been laid down. Everything was exactly how it should be, right? No big deal. We do this every year. It's what we have known. And little over a week ago, on February 8th, to be exact, something happened that captured the news kind of globally, if you will. And in these times that we live, where it's usually tragedy and natural disaster and destruction, this was different. This was news of something new, something revived, something rebuilt. At the end of a routine chapel service on the campus of Asbury University in Kentucky, a gospel choir ended the service with a song, but the worship continued. The choir continued, and a movement of the Holy Spirit was felt so closely that worship continued. And it continued, and it continued. And days and days went by and have gone by, and God has moved and continued to move in powerful ways. 
but here is my confession to you. My first reaction was not one of joy or praise. My first reaction was skepticism. Was this response truly coming from authentic hearts? Are they truly being transformed? And as the news continued out of Asbury, the movement started to take shape across different campuses all over the U.S. And my heart was still wrestling. Revival can't be orchestrated. The Holy Spirit will meet us right where we are, and I still believe that's true. Why are we trying to replicate Asbury? As I read more of the news of this movement breaking out, this revival, I would hear stories from those who had experienced revival before. Older generations who were testifying to a previous revival, even held at that very campus. And as I was listening, I realized that there was still transformation that was born out of that, that continued a legacy of transformation. But then there were also those moments outside of those glorious testimonies that I read that came from hearts of lament and mourning. How this wasn't like the time before and how they mourned that this time felt different or less than what they had experienced before. And as all of this was spinning in society, we were getting closer to our own winter awakening. And my heart was still wrestling. God, I would say, I want our students to experience you. I long for our students' hearts to be drawn to you. And then it would quickly turn into, but God, make it look a certain way. My wrestling was fear that the temple would be built back the way I, it wouldn't be built back the way that I felt that it should be built back. I wanted the temple rebuilt. I wanted us to return to sacred space, but I was so concerned with how the rebuilt temple might look that I totally dismissed those who had never experienced the temple before. You see, sorry. You see, as the people of Israel returned, they began the process of rebuilding. And many experienced this from the perspective of how God had shown up in the past. They were clinging to the hope of reconnecting with the goodness of God they experienced before. And for those who knew of the greatness of the past, as the rebuilding of this temple occurred, and as Torah was reestablished, and as the repopulation of the land began, it was soon evident to those that something was different. Hey, you, this temple is not the same as before. 
In fact, it's, it's, it's not as great. I don't know what blueprints the builders were using, but there are some flaws. I do not like the paint color. Um, you know, they, yeah, it, it's just not the same. And I do not know how in the world we are going to experience God in the same way when it's not the same as before when we experienced the temple. They were back in the land of promise. And as they had returned, we have to remember that all those feelings that had carried them through exile were the same feelings that they were carried into this space. There was a sense of expectation, anticipation. They'd gone through opposition, generation after generation, through exile. They were bringing all of this back into the land of promise. So of course, when the temple and their eyes wasn't what they had known before, it was going to bring some weeping and some mourning and some lament, and rightfully so, and rightfully so. You see, even in our own denominational history, we can look back and mark times where we can say that revival has broken out. In fact, I would go to say that revival has been a benchmark in who we are as people called Nazarene. We are no strangers to the returning of sacred space and being drawn closer to God's presence. I'm absolutely sure that if we had time today and we were able to pass the microphone, there would be testimony after testimony of how each of you have experienced the transformational love and grace of God in your lives. And with those testimonies, there are places and people and times that you can reconnect with those moments. And with that, I also know, like I felt in my heart, that in those spaces and those times that we recall, it brings up a sense of mourning or a sense of longing or lament in our hearts. And we begin to say things like, we don't have revivals like that anymore. Or if these young people would just dot, dot, dot. Or if these older people would just dot, dot, dot. Or if my pastor would just preach on dot, dot, dot. Then revival would come. Then the spirit would break loose. As my heart continued to wrestle, I came across words that I could not articulate quite yet in my own spirit. There are words from a colleague of Grant and myself who serves as chaplain on uh, the campus of Indiana Wesleyan University. Because you see, all of us campus pastors, chaplains, we were all wrestling. We were all wrestling and watching as this movement of the Holy Spirit was sweeping across campuses. And so here is what she said. She says, the prayer service at Indiana Wesleyan University was initiated by college students and led by college students. I was there the whole time, but happy to stand in the back and pray with people. 
and to help people discern. Five of us checked in regularly to discern what God was doing and how to steward the space. And at 2.30 a.m., these students felt like it was time to release the 50-plus students who were there worshiping and sent them to bed. I was so proud of these students and their careful attention to the Spirit. They said, God is moving in amazing, way here, in amazing ways here, and indeed, God was. Students prayed to receive Christ. Students confessed sin. Students called people on the phone and asked for forgiveness. Students interceded for friends and family who were far from God. So why would they want this to end? Why send people home? Why not keep going? And here is what our students said. We are not trying to replicate what is happening at Asbury. That is a very good thing, but God has a unique work he has already started doing and continues to do on our campus. It can look different and still be a very good thing. These students discerned together that it was okay to walk away hungry. One of the student leaders said to those gathered, you don't have to wait until the next eight-hour prayer service to encounter God. You have access to all of this all of the time. She said, God has been working on our campus for a long time. He didn't start yesterday or last week. The prayer loft where they worshiped that night was already a thin space because of the hours spent by students in prayer there. There had been a growing hunger and a willingness to confess and a sense of urgency for people far from God for months, maybe years. And she concluded by saying this, I don't know what's next, but I will keep discerning, praying, and letting students lead. I read this post on Tuesday afternoon, and God started working on my heart, and I'm sure Grant appreciated this because he heard all of my wrestling out loud. Our students entered this very sacred space early Wednesday morning. It's actually a group of students who gather for prayer every Wednesday morning at 6.30 on their very own, college students. That is a movement of God in and of itself. <laughs> they gathered here and they covered this space in prayer as they opened themselves up to what God might have in store for this community through our Winter Awakening services. Their prayers continued for over 90 minutes, so when it became time to begin showing up for rehearsals and sound checks, this sacred space, just like what my colleague had said, had become a thin space. A space where for decades upon decades, the prayers of God's people have been spilled and poured out. It was in this sacred space that I watched students respond to how God was moving. And I was reminded 
that while there were probably many of the Israelites who had experienced the nearness of God in the temple, there were also many who would be experiencing this for the first time. This was the only temple they knew and their experience, the rebuilding. And as we read in chapter six, the dedication was a glorious celebration. The people of Israel help us to see that one of the greatest challenges we as the church have faced and will continue to face is holding in our hands the beauty of where God's faithfulness has been and has brought us from our past are being shaped, are being formed, and where God's faithfulness will continue to draw us forward. It will bring both weeping and mourning as those hands release pieces of the past so that they can receive the new that God has in store for us. And I want to be very clear and say that this isn't a call to let go of everything that has been done in the past. This isn't a sermon trying to tell us, those of us who have fours or more in front of their ages, <laughs> I'm there, I'm with you now, I have to remember this. This is not diminishing what we have experienced. But we also have to understand that it's in the release that we learn that some locations lend themselves better to encounter God than others. The atmosphere of Babylon apparently could not bring about the kind of renewal God desired. But why, you may ask? In Jerusalem, past promises could be reclaimed while future hopes could be stirred. So the Israelites returned to the land and they rebuilt the temple. The past promises were reclaimed so that future hopes could be stirred. So what does this mean for us today as the church? For me personally, it's understanding that the same God who faithfully led the exiled people back to Jerusalem to reclaim those promises is the same God who continues to stir future hopes. The same God who faithfully freed hearts back then is faithfully freeing hearts now. God has been faithful to reform the church and is faithfully reforming the church. And as I stood here in our sanctuary, service after service this week, I experienced hope being stirred in the hearts of our NNU community. around these altars, in these aisles, in your seats, God is moving and God will continue to move. 
So the challenge for many of us, myself included, is will I, will we as the church be able to open our hands and discern what of the old things, what of the past can be released so that we can fully embrace the hopes that God is stirring all around us. We are called to be reflections of the new creation, not disconnected from where we are, but moldable and shapeable to continue the work. We sing this song that talks about the sameness of God. And I think sometimes we take for granted what that can mean. You see, my friends, our experiences as we practice the presence, as we encounter the presence of God, will not be the same for each of us along our journeys. It won't look like the temples we once knew before, but we know we have a call and a commission to keep pressing forward, to keep allowing God to stir those hopes within us because we serve the same God who was faithful then and is faithful now. And that's why it's in this time, in this space, just like Pastor Noah said, a lot of times in the black church, we don't mess around. There's no time. There's no time. After the last few weeks, what we are seeing, I think I can boldly say, now is the time. Now is the time. And it doesn't have to be a return to what the exact way we have experienced Christ before. It doesn't have to be that. But we know that the faithfulness is carried through. So as we close in this time of worship, I have to be honest with you, this space is a thin space. The prayers of the people of God have been poured out and spilled out on these altars and in this space for decades and decades. So as the move of God falls again and again and will continue to fall, it's in this very space where God's love and faithfulness, grace and mercy will meet us again. And we are so thankful for that. So if you need to enter into this thin space in prayer, if you want to take a posture of prayer at your seat, I would invite you to do that. And then we're going to sing together this declaration that we understand that the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Mary is the same God who is freeing hearts today and how desperately we need that God. Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for this thin, sacred space where we have seen and experienced your hand of faithfulness for decades upon decades upon decades. And we thank you for the legacy that you have created in Nampa College Church. And we know it could not have been done through our own strength and our own power, but only through your hand. And so, Father, we ask in this space that we would release the anchor of nostalgia that could keep us from seeing the prophetic hope being stirred. Because we know, God, you are moving. You have continued to move and work. So it's not as if we are not expecting, <laughs> but we are asking that you would open our eyes and our hearts so that we would have wisdom and discernment to know what can be released to be received. We would ask that we lay down the expectation that we carry of how you should and could and when you might move and pick up a posture of availability to be a part of hopes being restored and restored. Help us as we leave this space <coughs> to continue to see through the eyes of those who are longing to experience the temple for the first time. and help us to meet them exactly where they are. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love and your mercy. We pray this all in your loving name. Amen.
this is a thin space and God is here. As Pastor Ashley was preaching this morning, God gave me this verse. The God of the past should not be controlled by that past. God has been faithful, and sometimes for our own comfort, we want God to do it how he did it back then. How God did it back then was wonderful, but then God reminds us to the words of Isaiah and coming out of exile. He says this, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. It's not a case of trying to manipulate or fabricate. It is being released to God's spirit because God's spirit is on the loose. Amen? And it's not just Asbury. It's not just NNU that needs awakening. College church, we need an awakening. Amen? I just sensed this morning, I want us to sing one more time, Ryan. This is a thin space and God's spirit is here. What hopes and dreams does God want to work in our life, in your life, in this church? I want to sing just one more time. If you feel led to come to an altar or to pray where you are sitting, to let God's promises of the past be true and to breathe new hopes in new ways, that same God is a God of the present and tomorrow doing new things, shall we perceive it? I invite you, if you want to come pray where you're at, to do so or pray at the altars, you're welcome here. Let's sing one more time to respond to the Spirit who God is on the loose. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your
Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit in this place. Thank you for your servant, our pastor Ashley, who opened up the word to remind us as an Ezra, while they wanted that temple rebuilt, they kind of wanted to do some old things the same old way. And while the past was great, you were wanting to do something new. You are the God of the past. What has not changed is you are a God who frees, who redeems, who's involved in the world to set captives free. And Lord, you are doing it again, do it right now in this place. As Pastor Ashley said, what you're doing across our nation is not to copy one place or another, but there is a thinness, and may you do it uniquely here for NNU and uniquely here for College Church. Lord, I pray that your spirit would flow through us, that there would be new hopes and new dreams would be birthed, that pains and laments would be offered to you through a sense that you are still here to comfort, to redeem, to restore, and to renew. Lord, we just want to be caught up in your presence and say, God, change me. We confess our sins for the ways that you want to further mature us in the love of your son, Jesus Christ. We offer you our heartaches and our pains, our despairs and laments, but also offer you our hopes. Lord, we want to receive the new vision you have for us, that you're on the loose, and may we have the courage to respond. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of redemption. May you do a new work in my life and in our lives to respond to your spirit in fresh and new ways, loving our neighbors, loving our coworkers, loving our children, loving our parents. God, in this sense, we just need your help. We know you're at work to bring this new creation each and every day. May it start with our own lives. And from there, we go into our homes and our cities and our neighborhoods for your glory. Lord, we thank you for the sweet presence of your spirit. Lord, may we not just be here for a moment of emotionalism, but a steadfast sense of your spirit transforming, changing hearts and lives. And Lord, we're just so thankful for your faithfulness. You are the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are also the God of today and tomorrow, and we give you thanks and praise. So Lord, may you do a work in our life redeem, transform, sanctify us through and through, that as we are caught up in your love, we would go and love our world. It's only by your Spirit. By your Spirit, Lord, you have gathered us here, and by your Spirit, you will send us. Let us go in your hope and power. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, some are praying. Some might still want to pray, and that's okay. But let me offer this benediction to you today. If you've listened well today, the same God who is faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God who is faithful to help rebuild that temple with Ezra and the walls with Nehemiah, that same God is present today. But he is also doing a new thing. So receive the benediction. May you go in the power of the Spirit as you are being transformed to love your world, to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that time had come when Jesus is saving the people. Go in that hope and power of the Spirit today. Amen.